When you stop dreaming, it's time to die. When you stop dreaming, it is time to die. Thank you, Blind Melon, the psychedelic rock band from the 90s, kind of rebirth in 2006 for that lyric. The full lyric is, when your deepest thoughts are broken, keep dreaming, boy, because when you stop dreaming, it's time to die. (laughs) Hey, it's time to keep dreaming. It comes time to a new year, and we want to keep dreaming. Together, again, as individuals and corporates, keep dreaming. What does God have for us, and what does he have for you this year? And one way that we dream, especially around this time of year, is through these New Year's resolutions. Anyone made, anyone made some resolutions uh, this time around? Okay, we've got one, one, one here. Okay, here we, here we go, church. Woo! Let's go. Well, maybe a few more. So uh, it was great getting online. And uh, Time Magazine, actually a few years ago, had the top ten resolutions that are most likely to be broken. All right, the top 10 resolutions that are most likely to be broken. I want to share those with you. I'm going to have Liz Balk come and help me. What I need you to do is we're, we're kind of um, we're cleaning out our, our harbor closet here. And so um, maybe we're just re-gifting. We're getting rid of some of our Christmas ex- extras. All right, so let's hear it. Well, what do you think? What top? Okay, hold on. Yes, and you, I do need a raised hand because uh, there we go. Yes, boozy. Going to the gym every day. Exactly. They said, yeah, number one is lose weight, get fit. Number four, eat healthier diet. Broken. Usually because people make too, too, too big of a... Yeah, why don't you... All right, Boozy, come on up. Tell us your size. We'll get you a shirt. There we go. So we got one in four. Down. What else? Raise your hand. Yes, Liam. Okay. Um, you know what? Well, I can give you a t-shirt, Liam, for that one because um, number nine was volunteer. Number nine, the one that we, 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 we say we're going to do, we're going to volunteer more, but we just end up writing the checks is what Time Magazine says. Good. All right, what else? Yes, Stephen. Reading? Well, I'm so proud of you, Stephen. Said by a seminarian. Let me see. I, uh, <laughs> you know what? I'll, we'll give you number three. Number three is learn learn something new. You know, you say, hey, today's the year I'm going to, this is the year I'm going to learn Chinese or French or learn how to play piano. And in Stephen's case, I'm going to read. <laughs> I don't know I've made it two years for seminary without reading, but praise the Lord. All right. Awesome. Let's get a girl. Uh, there we go. Elizabeth. Get out of debt. Absolutely. Get out of debt. Number five, get out of debt or save. The problem is, what is the problem? Why do we not do that? Uh, maybe because <laughs> we have so much student debt, we'll never get out of it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> okay, what else? Yes, Bonnie. Watch less TV. Hmm. You know what? Let's give you number six, which is spend more time with family. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, at our house, it is a family event, but sadly, it's, yeah, okay. Awesome. All right, who else? What do we got? Yes, okay, Noiner. <laughs> Sorry, Tim Noiner. Noiner. Ooh, okay. Um, okay, you're gonna have. You know, what we will give you. We'll give you number seven. Travel to new places. How's that? <laughs> okay. Travel to new places. Get that man a T-shirt. Yeah, and usually the problem with that one is it's just beyond our budget. Uh, church shouldn't be beyond our budget unless we keep asking for more tithes. But usually the. The traveling is just too too hard because of budget. What else? We got a couple others there. Some specifics. Cullen. Ooh, okay. You're about to preach a sermon. I like this guy. Uh, how about this? <laughs> I'll give you number eight, which is be less stressed. Okay, you've, you've actually, you've set up a formula for being less stressed. But the problem is, of course, usually when we're making these, these resolutions, we're really stressed about what we didn't do in, in the year before. 
And so even though we've resolved to be more stressed, it doesn't work out. We're getting pretty good here. Uh, okay, the only things that we haven't hit, I'll give you a little hint. The ones we haven't hit are, okay, Katie, just, come on, number two. Number two, quit smoking. Only 15% do. If you're part of the 85%, you're not condemned. You're loved here. But only 15% actually follow through with quitting smoking. And very related to that, yes, there it is. No, that's okay. Is that what you're going to say? You can say. Get a better, okay, get a, paying, uh, get a better paying job. I can't give anything to you but a t-shirt. That's what I'll do. Let's get you a t-shirt. That's exactly it. It's quit drinking because of the cost involved and, of course, the, at times, the cost in um, just cost in your family or life. Excuse me. I, mean, I need to readjust up here a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> That's it. Okay. So I think we got them. We got all 10. Way to go. Congratulations. <laughs> we got some more t-shirts. Thank you. You can um, just, just bug Liz uh, anytime between now and uh, 1145 and get yourself a tea. There you go. There's some bugging going on. Thank you. Hey, (laughs) so the good news is, as followers of Jesus, we can keep dreaming, and we have power uh, in making resolutions. And um, it's just in a recent devotional reading that I came across a certain passage that I thought, man, I was reading in December, and I've been kind of going through the the minor prophets, and I read a few verses from Hosea. And what struck me about these few verses was, for several of them, it was, wow, God, that really encapsulated my 2013 these verses you've written, they, they touch me and they strike me when I consider my past year. And then there's one zinger in there that we'll get to. And that zinger was the one that said, yes, Lord, that's what I want my 2014 to be about. So let's go on that journey together. If you have your Bibles, look at, let's find Hosea. And otherwise, it'll be on the screen. And just to let you know a little bit about Hosea, Hosea is a contemporary of Amos and a contemporary of Isaiah. And Hosea, in his lifetime, he would have seen this kind of uh, disintegration happen before him. When he was first getting started in his ministry, there was the king of Israel was a guy named Jeroboam, Jeroboam II. And things were pretty steady and secure under him. But after Jeroboam's rule, there was a series of assassinations and just all of the dysfunction of Israel, both spiritually, politically, and everything, started to catch up to them. And it just got messier and messier more and more hopeless. And so as this thing is unfolding, God prompts Hosea to speak to the people. And as he always does, he sends prophets to us to tell us, hey, here's where we need to kind of get things straightened out. Shortly after his writing, it's unclear whether he's still alive or not, but shortly after his writing, the Assyrians, a foreign empire, would come. And although Israel had been kind of a vassal state of Assyria up to that moment, after his writing, Assyria will come and kind of have the total takeover of Israel. Just to give you some context. But turn with me now to Hosea 11, 1 to 9. Hosea 11, 1 to 9. We're going to follow a little arc here. And if I was going to summarize my 2013, I'd summarize it like this. God, you're really good. And I'd say, I wasn't so good. <laughs> but number three, God, you're still good. Or maybe said differently, God, you're really good to me. Number two, I'm aware of my shortcomings. There's rebellion or places of my heart, that aren't bending to your will. And then number three, God, you've still been so gracious, and you don't give up on me. And that's the great news about God. So let's look at this and see if this rings true with your 2013. Hosea 11. We'll take it a few verses at a time. Oh, man, we're going to hear God's Father's heart for you and me today. This is, again, when I was reading this in December, it just 
struck me so powerfully. When Israel, you can fill in your own name there. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I loved her. And out of Egypt, I called my son, my daughter. But the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and, burnt, and burning offerings to idols. So those first two verses really have encapsulated the whole of where we're going in these nine verses. Basically, and what I am, I'm putting on, I'm superimposing on my last year. Hosea is actually superimposing on about 750 years of Israel's history. He's thinking about Israel and how God brought them out of Egypt, the Exodus, you know, Passover, all that. And up to this current point, you know, that, that was about 1400 B.C., now we're in about the 700s B.C. And I'm doing it in one year, but <laughs> Hosea is looking at 700 years saying, this is what happened. What happened was God was such a father to us. He loved us. He called us out of our bondage, out of our slavery, out of Egypt. But here's what happened. The more they were called, actually, the more they went away. And what the problem, I love this about the prophets in general, Hosea in particular, he gets right to the core of the heart issue. He says the deal is they just kept sacrificing to Baals. And what are Baals? Baals are these fertility gods. And so the thought was, hey, if we want rain, if we want our harvest, if we want our food, then we need to please this god of fertility. The only problem was, or th- I mean, that's a problem in and of itself because it's just, you know, God's the one true God. But the problem is the, the rites that went around with it, the rituals with it were very sexual. They were very, um, they were full of orgy. And so it's kind of like this imitation thing, like, hey, we'll be fertile. Just in a big party sense, and we'll see if the God of fertility gives us what we need. So just totally perverse. Totally going way into the furthest depth of our capacities for perversion. And uh, the more God called, the more Israel went the other direction. He's not pulling punches, is he, Hosea? (laughs) Just like God doesn't pull punches with you or me. If you've got the Holy Spirit speaking to you, he's usually telling you, hey, this is the area I need to work on with you. And so now let's expand this out a little bit as we go verses 3 to 5. Yet it was I, this is God speaking, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with hands of love, excuse me, with the bands of love, the cords of of love or uh, human cords of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and feed them. We'll just start there. Stop there, excuse me, we'll take three and four here as a segment. So what's going on here? Well, again, Jose is expanding on the love of God part. He's expanding on the first part, right? That God loves you. He loved Israel. And here's how. First of all, we need to note that Ephraim is just kind of a nickname for the the northern tribe of Israel. Ephraim, if you remember, was Joseph's second son. Joseph from from Egypt. Uh, It was Joseph who had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was the first, but as was common, kind of, there's a theme in Scripture where it's the second that gets more um, of the precedence because of obedience. And so Ephraim became kind of uh, Joseph's favored son. And, and Hosea and Isaiah both use this as just a nickname for Israel. Just kind of like when I call Kelsey sweet tea, when she calls me boo, um, you know, Hosea is saying, God taught Ephraim to walk. Kelsey and I just celebrated our five, fifth year anniversary, so we've been saying... Sweet things to each other. <laughs> At least these last few days. Praise God. <laughs> oh, she says sweet things to me all the time. So, Ephraim, I taught you to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know as I that 
healed them or I that took care of them is probably a better way to express it. I led them with cords of kindness or yours might say humanness or um, human kindness with the bands of love. Just the picture there that God, who's holy and wonderful, condescended from on high to love us in ways that we can understand and appreciate. He was very kind to us. And then this strange picture that we lose in our non-agrarian society. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to, to them and fed them. So the picture there is oxen, when they are working, they have the yoke on them. But I don't have the full picture. I don't have an illustration for you. But uh, the yoke prevents them, however it fits on their neck and on their face, keeps them from eating. And so when it's time to eat, you have to take the yoke off, remove it kind of from where it covers their mouth so they can eat. It's the same picture here, right? What did God do with getting Israel out of slavery? God took that yoke of bondage off them so then they could eat in the promised land. And is that not your story and my story? When I think of what my life would have been without the goodness of God, I would have been given over to bondage unto my own death. As it is, as a believer in Christ, getting mature, I still have my stronghold and the bondage that God's uncovering little by little. But man, can you imagine if you didn't know the Lord, you would have been stuck in that bondage with no hope, no capacity to eat what God would feed you with, no capacity to be nourished by His goodness and His kindness. That's what God was like to me in 2013, loving me, being tender to me, helping me, even though at times I gave him the stiff arm. And so here comes the consequences, okay? You know, there's always consequences for my sin, (laughs) for your sin, for our sin. There's consequences. And so here's what it is in Israel's case. Let's take 5 to 7 now. Isaiah 11, 5 to 7. It says, They shall not return to the land of Egypt. Or, as... as, um, There's kind of a play on words going here. It says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt. Or an alternate translation, they surely shall return to the land of Egypt. We'll come back to that in a moment. But Assyria shall be their king. Because they've refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities. Consume the bars of their gates. And devour them because of their own counsel. My people are bent. The problem is they're just kind of bent towards turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, right? Though they come to church. He shall not raise them up at all. Whew, that's a heavy, isn't it? Now, thankfully, in Christ, we are not subject to that being the period, you know, the end story. But what's going on here? They shall not return to the land of Egypt. Well, Israel, knowing that Assyria was coming, you know, knowing here comes this invading empire. And again, at this time of writing, uh, Israel is already kind of a vassal state to them, already subservient to them, having to pay just to keep their own... Uh, keep the Assyrians out. They just paid tribute to them. But so what Israel did, instead of dealing with the sin problem, this might ring true from what we shared last week, instead of dealing with the actual sin problem, Israel tried to work out a political deal. Let's get help from Egypt. And so here's God saying, you won't go back to Egypt because Assyria is going to come and rule. Now, as you're trying to escape by doing this, getting your crutch over here, it's not going to work. Or the play on words is, actually, you will go back to Egypt in the sense that you're going to get back in bondage, okay? Because that, that's what you've cultivated. You've cultivated just your, your bondage. And so you are kind of going back there in a certain way. And why is it? Because you've refused simply to return to me. You've refused to come back to me. And, and so right then, this awful picture of what, was, what would happen. Assyria was going to come to invade on their own soil. The sword's going to rage. The bars of the gates are going to be consumed. 
They're going to be devoured, right? And the problem is, verse 7, because they're just bent on turning away. And then they call on me. I'm not going to help. Right? I've, I've, I've cast a die. The judgment is coming. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But wow, look what comes next. Verses 8 and 9. Man, if we got some imagery, the fatherhood of God before, verses 3 and 4, here it comes in 8 and 9. Check this out. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Maybe he's using that tender name again. How can I? This is God. How can I give you up? You can put in your own name in there. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? This is verse 8. And Adma and Zeboim, those are just suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? So if you remember, God rained down judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, these other cities were involved too. They just don't get as big of a billing. How can I, how can I do that to you is what God's saying. My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And he says, I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I'm God and I'm not a man. Right? Humans, we do the vengeance thing. We do eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But God says, I'm God. I'm not a man. I'm the holy one in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. I'm not going to come to destroy your city. Always the redemptive hope of God. Yes, by the way, as I mentioned, Assyria would come, but there will always be a remnant. There will always be, God was, has always through history surveyed his people and made sure that there was life available for them. So let's just pause for a second. Let's let God reframe our 2013 and just let God speak to you about some specifics. Think about your vocation. Think about your marriage or your relationships. Think about your singleness. Think about your health. Think about your finances. Think about your walk with the Lord. Where has God been good to you? Think through the different seasons. Remember winter last year and the spring and the summer and then into fall. And let the Holy Spirit bring to mind too. And where are the places that you'd rather not go back to? Where are those things that are too hurtful or too shameful to bring up? You think, man, I blew it then. That wasn't good. I sure don't want to relive that moment. I wish I could take that one back. And let God in there. Because that's where He wants to go. Because He loves you. Because of verses 8 and 9, He loves you. That's where He wants to go. Let him, let him speak to you again. Oh, how can I give you up? You know, you might have given up on yourself. You might have said, this is too much of a mess, too hard, too difficult for me. But God's saying to you, I'm not giving you up. I'm not handing you over. I'm not going to destroy you. My compassion towards you. Fill in your name here. My compassion towards you is growing warm and tender. I'm God. I'm not man. I'm the holy one in your midst. I'm not going to come in wrath. I'm coming in grace and mercy, I'd say. We know that because of Jesus. Let him speak that to you afresh. Right? We need to interpret correctly our 2013. Otherwise, we can't move forward to our 2014. Let's transition now. 
And I, I, I have the privilege of doing this, I feel like, because um, uh, I'm just going to jump around a little bit. We're going we're gonna to go to the zinger here. And the zinger is a chapter before. It's in Hosea 10, verse 12. Hosea 10, verse 12. And I can do this because I feel like I have some liberty to do it because Hosea is really interesting. Chapters 1 to 3 of Hosea are the story of Hosea and his, his, uh, un, his uh, unfaithful wife, Gomer. But then after that, Hosea 4 to the end is just, are just his utterances and his words. And it's very hard to, to, to say where one starts and where one ends. So I'm kind of taking a little liberty to, to going back to another verse here. But again, I'm bringing you into this devotional time I had in December where when I read this verse, it awoken. It, <laughs> yeah, way to go. SAT. Uh, it awoke me. I became awakened. <laughs> I lit up. <laughs> when I read verse 12 of chapter 10, I said, yes, Lord, this is your call to me. And I believe your call to us as we enter 2014. Let's read it together. Actually, let's indeed read it out loud together. Can we read this verse together? Let's all read it from the screen. I know we have different versions. Let's read what we see on the screen. Let's read this together. So for yourselves, righteousness Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. When I think of my 2014, I think, yes, God, this is what I want to do and be about. I want to respond to this word. I want to know where is the fallow. That means unplowed ground in our relationship. And... Lord, take me on this romance again with you. I want to seek you once again. So I want to speak very plainly today about the invitation that I believe from God is. And John and I were speaking earlier this week while John was poor him in Florida. It was awful for him. And uh, I was in my office in Beverly with, you know, 10 pounds of snow falling behind us. But we spoke and, you know, we kind of were just talking about different things and we said, hey, this is really the bread and butter of who we are as a people. If there's three things that we think any of you can do, it's this. It's number one, you can spend time with the Lord daily. That is just our bread and butter. You can have time with God on a daily basis. I'm speaking about prayer and the word, and it can be life-giving and a joy for you. The second thing is, we're not talking about either of these other two things today, but the second thing is that you can give it away somehow. That somehow God has called you to be a discipler, to make disciples. It's very clear in Matthew 28. And we want to give you the tools, regardless of your personality, regardless of your vocation, whatever. There are ways that you can influence others and grow others up in Christ. And the third thing is, I think for most of you, and I would say for anyone who wants to kind of follow the leadership track here, most of you, I think more of you than we have now for sure, can lead a small group. And you can have a, a group in your home that gets together and becomes a team a team to love and encourage each other in the Lord and to reach out to those who don't know you. We believe that's accessible for, gosh, uh, I mean, I want to say upwards of 75% of us. We can do this. So we're hitting today again this very first bread and butter, which is you can spend time with the Lord and, and, and you can spend time in prayer and you can spend time in the Word and it can be life-giving and wonderful. Are there any amens out there today? <laughs> okay. I love what our sister church in San Diego calls it. Uh, Robert Herbie calls it FaceTime. We can all get FaceTime with God. Not just a checkbox that you check off. Not, I'm just going through my Bible today to get more knowledge. But you can interact with the maker of the universe. You can seek him. 
and he will return his great love to you. All right? I mean, we get his love anyways. I don't want to make a strange theology. But what I'm saying is you can position yourself in a place where things get very, very clear. I was going to wait till later. Let me just share this now. Plus, we're time, time, the clock's ticking. Let me just share this now. We, um, we just had at our midst, speaking of San Diego, there's one from our midst, Andrew Pomason. Maybe some of you know him. He's from the North Shore, but has since kind of been pursuing his baseball career, went to San Diego. That's a little bit on hold, but he has been really growing up in the Lord at All People's Church, our, our sister church in San Diego. And we were talking about this idea of spending time with the Lord. And he just had an awesome analogy, and he said this. Now that he is one who, that's a regular rhythm for his life, he enjoys reading the word and praying on a regular basis. And he said, you know what it's like? He said, I got for Christmas, I got a new uh, noise canceling the Bose, like the top of the line um, headset, yeah, headphones, right? And he says, the clarity with which I hear the music now. When I go back to just the earbuds that I stick in, especially if I, you know, I'm trying to work out and they fall out, and it's just there's no compare. Right? It's that clarity that I so love about these new headphones. And that's what it's like now. The difference is about when I'm spending time with the Lord, and if I miss a day, if I don't have time with them, I go back to fuzzy land. It's just not clear. I can't think of a better illustration than that right there. My, my uh, call or the invitation here to respond to God is so that you can live with that clarity day in and day out. Because God wants to speak to you. And you have His Word with you in the morning... I mean, you talk to him, you share your heart. You're speaking about dreaming today. If you share your dreams with him, man, it is clear. And that's how you're designed to live. We're designed to live. You know, when, when, we're, when we're unclear about a discipline or if we're getting too legalistic about something, let's go back to the garden, right? The garden of Eden, there is unhindered fellowship with the Lord. Now, we don't have that same dynamic in the sense that God's not walking through the cool of the garden with us in the day to day. But he's given us quite a means of grace in its place. He's given us the word and the ability to communicate with him and the Holy Spirit to come and confirm things in our hearts. Why would we live without it? Why settle for the lack of clarity when you can have clarity every day? It's not a legalism thing for me. It's a life thing for me. I need it every day so I can get with him and be with him. And so I respond correctly to my sweet tea. And I, spend, I, I respond correctly to my kids, and so I'm growing in maturity, and why would I live without that clarity? And I know we've got to work it out, right? We've got to work out the, you know, you've got a puzzle in your life, and I understand the puzzle. I understand it better, right? You've got kids, you've got exercise, you've got eating and sleeping, and you've got all those things you need to, to work out. But again, that's where the Holy Spirit wants to help you. You work it out. Man, one of the hardest times in my life, and um, I had some people kind of laugh at me because of this, but... Because this became a rhythm of my life as a college student, when I got to those five years where I was teaching school, and I loved my time teaching, but I got to tell you the flow of my week. The flow of my week was, because I, I'm looking at some other teachers here, because I had to be up at 7 in the morning making photocopies, running around for a class that starts at 7.50. Hello, what teenagers are awake at 7.50? Thank you, God. I just, sorry, a little commentary on school. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, a block was really easy because everyone was asleep. Anyways, so, but this is how my week would go. I would start out Monday and Tuesday having a little great times with the Lord in the morning. But just because of the business of life, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday would roll around, and I just was not able to get that time with the Lord. The thing I want to say was, but my heart was crying out continuously, Lord, I miss you. Lord, I long for your presence. And of course I could pray at lunchtime. And of course I could 
you know, meet with God in the afternoon, this, that, and the other. But the thing is, my heart was crying out because I missed him and I missed that clarity that I had cultivated so well. I just got to get rid of this. This is going to drive me nuts. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Thank you, all who are trying to work out on the stage. It's wonderful. Okay. Okay. Amen. All right. Let's go through some of these. Let's go through some of these ideas here. There's some great ideas as we talk about this um, for our 2014. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Okay. So when it comes to spending time with the Lord, sow for yourselves righteousness. The first thing we need to realize is sowing, by definition, is going to be a waiting thing. When you sow, you put a seed in the ground. There's not a whole lot you do besides wait. And then there's the water and the sunlight and whatever. My point is, is that if you come to the word saying, Lord, every day I need you to speak to me right now about what I need right now. You're going to be disappointed because we sow. And when there's a lifestyle of sowing, later there will be reaping, right? There's got to be some patience on our part. There's got to be some, Lord, I'm going to take your word on your terms and not mine today. So there's sowing, meaning by definition, waiting and uh, um, putting something in and not getting something out immediately, just with the patience of a farmer, right? So you sow for yourselves righteousness. That word righteousness means right relationship with God. So sow towards right relationship with God. And then, yes, you will reap steadfast love. You'll get to reap the steadfast love of God. Now, for me, it, it can and it does happen on a daily basis in the sense that I would say, actually, 75% of my days and my mornings, I get up and I'm either angry or sad or tired, okay? I'm angry, sad, or tired. I can just tell you because the way life is right now. But because this has been a habit of my life, I get into the Word of God, and I definitely go a couple points up on that scale. In other words, yes, we sow, but I'm just telling you, even by getting a little time with the Word, I go up a couple points, and God visits me, and I get happy. And I go to work a little bit happier than I was when I first got up. Honestly, I just, it's a great thing. And I want to encourage us to enjoy that same thing. Similar here, break up your fallow ground. Fallow means unplowed. I'll, I'll pretty much wrap up with this. We want to move on to communing with the Lord in communion. But break up your fallow ground. Fallow means unplowed. So I've actually put this Bible out here on this podium right here. As you look at that book, What remains unplowed? You know, what remains unvisited? Where is it that you have to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Uh, (laughs) So when you look up plowing and what, you know, why do we plow? Why do farmers plow? Because there actually is a whole movement right now to not plow. It's like the no-till people, like stop tilling. And that, you know, it has its benefits and whatnot. But the reason you break up fallow ground, why do you even plow? Is because it mixes up the soil. It aerates the soil. And it breaks up clumps that otherwise, this is good, get ready for this. It breaks up clumps that otherwise would prevent growth. They would prevent their roots from going down. That's why farmers plow. Because it also mixes up the nutrients. Man, I couldn't think of a better illustration of, although you might come to this book and it feels cold and distant when you're just alone by yourself outside of the body of Christ, I understand that experience. Again, I come with that experience often. When I start. But then you start to break up the untilled ground. Then you get into the Word. And then you get the helps you need. Hey, I need helps all the time. I've got a commentary by my desk because I need to understand who is this Hosea character. When was he alive? We find out things like that. Some of your study Bibles have it right in there. Then you get into it. And it's wonderful. For it's time to seek the Lord. 
And that's the word of God, I believe, for our church for 2014. It is time to seek the Lord so that he may rain righteousness upon you. Because here's the picture I have in my mind. That clarity picture that I shared with the headphones. The picture is this, or the maybe it's not so much a picture, but a, the, uh, the longing that I have in my heart is, imagine if a body of 200 people, if we all come together having sought him. If we have lifestyles of seeking him, do you know what that means we can do as a people? Versus if we all come together and no one spent time with the Lord, our hearts are cold towards him. And I'm going to use a little Tim Keller language here because Tim Keller talks about the fact that as a pastor, you're kind of put in this position. As a pastor, either you warm yourself up to the Lord every day or you get really hypocritical, right? That's so true. If you're a leader in the church, if you're a faith group leader, you either start warming yourself up to the Lord every day and actually have a genuine experience of the Lord helping you and you know breaking through and when, when tough times are tough, that he helps you. Or you just start to be a total hypocrite in the sense of you're preaching the, the warmth of God, but your heart's cold towards him, right? And so, I had a point. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Bless you. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? John's always good about getting me back on track, especially in staff meetings. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we need it. Okay. Amen. Yes. Give that man a raise. <laughs> We need it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Lord. <sighs> oh, that's what it is. Okay. So if all of us do, yeah, okay. If all of us are, you know what I'm saying? If all of us are corporately spending time with the Lord, it means we can go here. But if every Sunday it's just, hey, let's get our hearts, let's get our, everyone's hearts warmed up to the Lord again. It's just, we have a certain ceiling that we can hit. And again, God is calling us to, to uh, things more than we can imagine. Okay, I really believe that it's a desperate time. The hour is getting darker as the years go on. The church is going to shine brighter. I mean, you already see the, you know, can you already see it? How the, the things are aligning in the culture, kind of life versus death and, and truth versus uh, untruth. It's happening already. And, um, but God wants to just, he wants to light up the world with the church. You know what I'm saying? Are people who love well, are people who give a people who serve, a people who aren't vindictive. He wants to blow it up. Amen? Okay, I see nodding heads like, yes, we get it. <laughs> a church that is full of people who are seeking the Lord can shake the world. We'll have clarity, we'll have power, we'll have anointing. And imagine the difference uh, if we are all that all the time. So, when you stop dreaming, it's time to die. Let's not die. Let's keep dreaming. Let's keep dreaming with the Lord, in the Lord. Let's spend time with Him. Let's break up that fallow ground, okay? That is my uh, appeal to us as we begin 2014. There's one resolution that I want everyone to, to work on. It's this resolution of spending time with the Lord regularly. It's kind of what we owe to each other. It's the best way to respond to the Lord. It's a bread and butter for who we are, and it's going to shake the world. Amen? Don't let it be a legal yoke. If you feel like, here we go again, and it's legalism, then talk to me or talk to your friends. Let's work it out. You work with your friends. Get, we should have some best practices discussions, right? You talk to your friends. Talk to your faith members. How do you spend time with the Lord? I've got 100 kids. I have a job that goes from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. How do I do this every day? I don't know, but we'll work it out together, right? Let's talk it through. Let's move towards him. Let's break up that fallow ground. Amen? Because that's how you get transformed. There's got to be a place in you that says, I, get, I can mine the gold from the word of God. Ah, praise the Lord. Let's do it. Okay. Amen. Let's commune with him by communing, by communion. Another means of grace he's given us. 
So let's in, let me have some of our um, <clears throat> our uh, servers come and serve. Liz Ball can help me coordinate some serving people. Here we go. Okay, and you know, let's do this. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears to high mechanics for a second. Then we'll get back into uh, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Lord, draw us after yourself once again. Lord, it's you that makes it not a legal yoke, but an invitation to intimacy. And it's what we're made for. We were made to be intimate with God. And Lord, you've given us the means of grace in your word. I, we know by, gosh, I just know that the word is available to any person who can read and and Lord, it is discernible. The whole thing is discernible by you. Yes, there are places that are problematic that we don't understand, but the whole counsel of God really is available to all of us. And we can be a people who pray also, who enjoy the presence of the Lord in Bible study and in prayer. And so Lord, I pray, uh, let 2014, let this be a res- resolution that is unbroken, but that actually grows. Let it be one that is not motivated by guilt and fear, but by a great desire to know the God who made us and the God who saves us and the God who redeems us and the God who's guiding this church into the the glorious destination that she has of fully expressing Jesus to the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Motivate us afresh. Lord, things vying for our attention are multiplying by the minute. Help us to enjoy the quiet place. Work with all of our temperaments, God. Extroverts, introverts, analyzers, feelers. I pray, work out ways for us to access you that bring life to our souls. You made us for intimacy with you. We receive once again the very invitation you gave to the church at Laodicea. It wasn't to unbelievers. It was to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and sup fellowship with him. And that was to the church that you just blasted because they thought they were rich, but actually they were poor. God, we're very similar at the harbor. So Lord, yes, we want to sup with you. We want to feast on the Word of God. In the early morning hours, we want to feast on the Word of God. We want to pray. We want to talk to you. We want to hear your voice. It's possible. It's what you're made for. We receive that. We remember that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread, you broke it. You said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, you took that third cup in the Passover sequence. You said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new relationship between God and man. Drink this also in remembrance of me. Oh, Lord, so we begin 2014 with a great desire to commune with you. Oh, we want to be with you, Jesus. We want to live in you and you in us. This great mystery that John exposed very well or exposited very well. You live in us, we live in you. It's incredible. We want that deep communion. Bless you. We ask you.
pray in Jesus' name.